Today we end the 12 days of Christmas season and begin the church's epiphany season. Epiphany, of course, is a season that sometimes has a little bit of a chip on her shoulder because her little sister, Christmas, I mean seriously, 12 days, is the one who gets all the attention. But not today. We're going to give Epiphany the attention she deserves today. Now, according to my dictionary, the word Epiphany means manifestation, which is very nice to know and very helpful if you happen to know what manifestation means. <laughs> according to my thesaurus, synonyms for the word manifestation include the words demonstration, expression, materialization, or appearance. Along those lines, the epiphany season, following as it does always immediately after the 12 days of the Christmas season, focuses not now for 12 days, but from now all the way until Lent, focuses on various ways in which it began to appear to some people and then to more people that that child born at Christmas wasn't just any child. He was also, some began to think, and then more began to think, the one we've hoped and longed for, the Messiah, the one who is a manifestation, a demonstration, an expression, a materialization, an appearance of God's saving light shining in this sin-darkened world for all to see. And in seeing to be saved from sin. And in being saved to turn from sin's ways and to turn from sin's ways by in this world's present darkness, walking in, following the light. The word epiphany secondarily my dictionary tells me, can refer to, I quote, a sudden perception or insight into the reality or essential meaning of something. Now, this is the way you've actually heard this use, word used. This is a way you actually may have used the word yourself if you, like others, have ever said something like, aha, I just had an epiphany. Something all of a sudden that wasn't clear became clear. Something you couldn't see, all of a sudden you could see. And so, too, the Epiphany season, following as it does every year, the 12 days of the Christmas season, focuses from now until Lent on things that happened. And some people began to see that, that Joseph and Mary's son was, in fact, Son of God. The Epiphany season begins every single year with, as we began our worship service, uh, the first day of Epiphany, the prophet Isaiah, uh, right after Christmas, announces Epiphany with these words, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And then every single year on the first day of the Epiphany season, um, there always follows the story of that particular epiphany, that aha, this is him moment, granted those wise men from the east 
who followed the light of that star all the way to the light that was that child. Of course, everybody knows about the three wise men. Except, you know what, it turns out that there really isn't much actually at all that we do for sure know about them. Because everything we've got from them in terms of being biblically for sure, everything comes from that one and only one story in the Bible, which is the only place they are ever mentioned and the one we just read, which we're going to dig into a little bit now and see what we can see and know what we can know and maybe even have an epiphany or two along the way. We'll see. Matthew 2, starting at verse 1. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who's been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and we have come to pay him homage. You know how I said this, we don't really know a lot for sure um, about the three wise men? Turns out we don't, even, we don't even know for sure that there were three of them. Because it does not say that at all. The tradition that there were three is an assumption based on a detail later in the story where three specific gifts are mentioned, right? Gold and frankincense and myrrh. And so people assume, well, three gifts, there must have been three people and they each brought one, maybe, but it doesn't say that. I mean, it's not impossible, surely, that there were, um, for example, four wise men and perhaps two of them, um, you know, perhaps being Dutch, went in half and half on the frankincense. Nor do we know for sure exactly where these three-ish folks were from. All it says there in Matthew 2 is that they were from the east, which if you're standing in Bethlehem, the east is pretty much all of Asia. There is a hint, though, in the Greek word translated here as two words, wise men. The word is magoi, or translated into English we say magi which is actually related to our word magic. Not all that far east of the Holy Land back then was Persia, which is still not very far east of the Holy Land, but it's called Iran. And the religion of the Persians back then was also one of the major back then religions in the whole world, it was called Zoroastrianism. Now stay with me because I think this might get someplace that's worth going. Zoroastrians followed the teachings of a prophet whose westernized name was Zoroaster, but whose actual Persian name was Zarathustra. Some of you recognize that name because you know the Richard Strauss tone poem, also Sprach Zarathustra, which a few of us commoners know, but we only know it because it was the theme for 2001 Space Odyssey, right? Bum, 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 Come on, everybody, second. By the way, this is an epiphany I had. Zarathustra, 
Dyke. Straw. Maybe two of these guys were Dutch and did go in half and half and half. Okay, maybe not. But back to Zoroastrianism, because I know you are sitting on the edge of your seat wondering where this is going. Zoroastrians were monotheistic. They're actually kind of a pre-Islamic uh, uh, faith in, in, uh, in that part of the world. They believe there's one God. Zoroastrian priests were called Magi. And as part of their religion, it is known for sure that these priests paid particular attention to the stars and in fact gained an international reputation for astrology. That is to say, not just, not just seeing the stars, but also seeing meaning written in the stars. Which even if you're not given to astrology, you know, we do say that, don't we? It's in the stars. Now, some people today wanting to clean the Bible up, I think, by making every detail in it as holy as they are, want to say that these magi most certainly were not these astrologers. I mean, you know, <laughs> astrology, that belongs on the page next to the comics. Uh, they were not astrologers. These were, these, were, these, were rather, these were astronomers. These were not religious psychics. These were religious scientists. Some, too, uh, for the same reason, I think, want to say that these, these, these were not certainly these Zoro, whatever you said, people. These were Jews who were followers of the only true religion back then, who just happened to live back east among all those what's-its. Because, of course, you, you have to be a member of the right religion in order ever to know anything that's true, right? Well, I think that's exactly wrong, and I also think it muddies the water of a clear point to be seen here, specifically in these Magi's not-Jewishness. That being the point right here at the beginning of the story that, aha, the Messiah that was promised to the Jews wasn't just given only for the Jews, but for all people, including those Zoroastrian Persians, whom we do today know as Iranians. Ah, would that today kings from Iran and the United States would both, from both directions, walk in the light. Continuing in Matthew 2, where these non-Jews, representing the whole wide world, come to Jerusalem saying, where is he whose star we have seen rising. Many, by the way, say that it probably wasn't actually a star. Because from our perspective, stars don't visibly move in a way that could be followed. And so they suggest instead that it was actually a planet, perhaps even a unique alignment of the planets, which back then um, would have been noticed and possibly mistaken for a star as it slowly crossed the sky. It works for me, I don't know, maybe that's what they saw. Of course, some um, who are more prone to literalism than I am will say, no, 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 no. That's the Greek word for star. So it was a star. And it moved. It was a miracle. God can do that if God wants. You know what? This works for me too. Because surely God can do that if God wants. And who knows, maybe God did. 
<clears throat> Either way, though, the most important thing to me is that whatever exactly it was, there was apparently some kind of a light there, which, is, which means that it was something that all could see, right? But only these magi saw and understood and followed. It's still true, I suspect, all over the place and all around us. There's light that God has given for all to see, but only some do see everything that's there to be seen. Indeed, for example, today, some staring at the stars see only stars. Others, on the other hand, today staring at the stars see the creator of the stars. God. Back to the text where the Magi, this is understandable, they probably took their eye off the star apparently, but this is understandable, they stopped in Jerusalem, six miles short of Bethlehem, because of course Jerusalem is where the king's palace was, and that's where you would expect a newborn king to be born, in Jerusalem at the palace. And so they say at the palace, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star rising, and we have come to pay him homage. When Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. Be careful where things go when your leaders are leading from fear. When Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him, and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. Then Herod sent the wise men to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you find him, bring me word, so that I can go and worship him too. Now, sometimes, of course, we don't talk about the three wise men, but the three kings. In fact, we're going to sing the song pretty soon, We Three Kings, and that's fine. Although, technically and precisely, um, there are only two people in this story who are literally referred to as kings. The first one, the Magi will find out, is that child not in Jerusalem, but in Bethlehem. The other, they've already found out, is that one sitting on this throne here in Jerusalem, Herod the Great, who knows even without meeting this newborn king that he is a threat to the kind of power he holds dear. And he is right. Because why? Because, know, we talked about this last week if you were here, because Herod's is the oppressive, enslaving power of soldiers and swords and bombs and bombast. Whereas the baby, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love, and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. This child is a threat to the kind of power Herod holds dear. Back to the text, when they heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed, overwhelmed with joy. And on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and 
paid him homage, and then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Just a few final words and maybe even a final epiphany. Verse 1 said, I don't know if you noticed this, the wise men arrived uh, in Jerusalem after the child had been born. And now in verse 11, when they finally got to Bethlehem, it doesn't say that, that they went to a stable. It says that they went to a house where they found the child. And I am not saying go home and change your nativity sets. But it does seem pretty certain that the Magi didn't show up at stable on Christmas Eve, uh, but at a house where eventually, apparently, there was room for him in Bethlehem. How much later? Speculation goes to as much as two years. Which is interesting. Maybe that's so important. Way more important, I think, is what they did when they got there. Verse 11, they knelt down and paid him homage. And then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They knelt down. They humbled themselves in the presence of this king. They paid him homage. They worshiped this king. And finally, whereas we most of us celebrated his birth by giving gifts to others and getting gifts ourselves, they celebrated his birth by giving gifts to him. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All of them expensive gifts. We don't know whatever happened to them. We do know, we are told in the verses that come next, but we actually looked at them last week, we do know that Herod soon threatened would send his troops to Bethlehem to eliminate the threat of this newborn king. Warned in a dream, Joseph, before Herod's troops get there, fled with, Egypt, with Mary and his child to Egypt where they lived as refugees for several years. Maybe the gifts of the Magi were what they lived on. Don't know. Nobody knows. We do know, however, that though there was cash value to the three gifts they brought, there was also meaning in the gifts they brought. Though we don't know whether or not it was meaning they understood or meaning that's just there for us to understand, but either way, it is definitely there. Aha! To be understood. Gold. That's what crowns are made of. We are reminded this child, though he left his throne and though he skipped being birthed in a palace, is nevertheless born a king. Frankincense. Incense was used for worship. We are reminded this child as king of kings is not just to be obeyed, but to be worshipped. And myrrh. Myrrh was an expensive embalming spice used to prepare the body of one who had died. We are reminded even shortly after his birth that this king came to earth to die so that we, dying, might live. At least that's what the wise men apparently were wise enough to see when they were led by the star of Bethlehem shining in the heavens to the star of Bethlehem who had left heaven 
for them and for us and for all people. And they humbled themselves beside him, worshipped before him, and gave what was theirs to give to him. Hmm. Humility, worship, and grateful generosity. Would that more of us were so wise as to realize that that's really maybe all he wants for Christmas or Epiphany. Humility, worship, and grateful generosity. Amen. <laughs>